Our scripture today is Psalm 35. It's found on page 434 in the Bibles underneath your seat, if you want to follow along. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and butler, buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall, sh- shall, sh- shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask, of, ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye, who hate me without cause, for they do not speak peace. But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open their mouth against me. They say, Aha! Aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, do, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God, and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointment together who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is the word of the Lord. some things of what do I do uh, when, when, when life is not like I want it to be or it feels like everything is against me and the only thing I can really muster up is, is God, where are you? Like vindicate me. I mean, when, when a psalm goes to words like vindicate um, or contend, like it, it puts it in a category that sometimes we don't know exactly what to do with. And so as we look at this, like, I want to ask the question, have you ever felt hard-pressed? Have you ever discovered that you have someone against you or people against you that you had no idea? Like, it came from nowhere. 
I was, um, <clears throat> I was 13 years old, and my dad was running for district attorney. And so I got so good at like, uh, at like taking flyers and folding them and putting swag with them and passing them out. And I can tie balloons like you wouldn't believe. I mean, so I was like a 13 year old like, little campaigner. And what I didn't realize was if you're a part of any type of political campaign, there's another side and they already feel like disconnected against you. And so I was at the county fair. Uh, K County Fair, um, if you ever heard of it, it's a pretty big deal. I was there, and I was passing balloons out, and a family comes up, and there was an older gentleman, and so I go to pass him a balloon, and the guy goes off on me. Like, he goes off yelling, like, I'm an idiot, why would I ever want to support someone who doesn't have any experience as district attorney? He uses words that I can't say because I'm a Christian, but I went to public school, so I knew what they were. And so, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, so you don't want a balloon? I mean, what, what's going on here? But, like, he was an enemy, I didn't even know it. I hadn't done anything to do it. And all of a sudden, this guy was set against me. Psalm 35, it's what's called an imprecatory psalm. It comes from the Latin word that means to curse. And so imprecatory psalms are psalms that invoke judgment, calamity, or curses upon one's enemies or upon God. And like there's so many things we have to wrestle with this. Like the first thing that we have to ask, like the most famous imprecatory psalms are like 58, 69, uh, or 109. Most scholars agree. I think there's 21 imprecatory psalms altogether. Sometimes people argue. But like what do we do with them? Like, like, what do we do with them? Like, if, if in your Bible reading, if you're on the Free City Bible reading, and you should be, um, like, you read Matthew 5 in these last couple weeks, and we read things like this in Matthew 5, 43 through 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And yet, I don't know if this is the kind of prayer, Psalms 35 is the kind of prayer Jesus was meaning or Romans 12. Like I could just give you, like it says, bless those who persecute you in verse 14. Bless and do not curse them. And I could just jump down to the part uh, that really goes with it in verse 20, but then you wouldn't feel really cruddy because listen to everything that's in this. In verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Like that's not hard until envy gets in the way. Like, that's not hard until you see their Instagram story and you're like, oh, great, man, you are happy and skinny and your children are obedient and you're on a beach and you're tan. That's great. I'm watching YouTube videos on how to fix my washer and the only one I can relate to is a guy who, like, never actually fixed it. He was trying to fix it and he slew together words that would make sailors blush and then it just was over. Like, it didn't resolve. He was like... Okay, I mean, it's just over. He's the only one I related to. You know, like envy steps in, but not to worry, not to worry. Psalms 37 is all about envy. We'll deal with that. Verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Like, oh, no. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Like Psalms 35 seems to be asking the opposite of that. Verse 18, if possible, so as far as it depends upon you, 
live peaceably with all. Like, if you read, like just verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. Like, if you read that and you're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Like, you haven't thought deeply about the conflict in your relationships. Like, if you're in conflict with someone and you're like, oh, man, there's nothing more I can do. Have you thought about it? I mean, you can't get there. I'm not saying you can't. But typically when I think, oh, there's nothing more I can do, I haven't thought about it very much. I mean, you could bake them a cake or something, right? I had two twin boys, and it was the weirdest thing in student ministry. Whenever they, like, did something wrong and they needed to say they were sorry, they literally baked people cakes. I got so many cakes. Like, they would show up, they'd just have a cake, like, hey, man, we are sorry. And I'd be like, what kind is it this time, you know? And just bring it in. I mean, and if that doesn't work, if you can't bake, try this. I'm sorry. Like, if you're sitting with a spouse or a roommate or a boyfriend or girlfriend, you should probably look at them right now and just say, I'm sorry. If there's nothing going on now, there's probably something you could say I'm sorry for. So, yeah, yeah, do it. Say, I'm sorry. Whatever you can do, live at peace. And yet Psalms 35, it seems to be doing something different. Look at verse 19. It says, beloved, that means Christian, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. An imprecatory psalm. The psalms is actually is leaving it's a vindication to God. David, in this, and this is not even like one of the stronger imprecatory psalms, he's seeing injustice. He's seeing himself hard-pressed. He sees them fighting unfair. And he says, God, do you see? Will you do nothing? Do you even care? Like, there's some things we need to know when we start to look at psalms like this. Like, there's sometimes people want to dismiss them. They want to say something like, it's wrong. to, And so they want to have these ideas. And so let me just clarify, like, it is wrong to think that the Old Testament was just wrath and the New Testament is just grace. Wrath, God's wrath and grace exist in both. Like, when Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting Moses from Leviticus 19. It is also wrong to dismiss the Psalms because David was some vindictive, killing maniac. Like, that's just wrong. How many times did David turn away and not take Saul's life? When Saul was pursuing him, like, that is just wrong. It is also wrong to think that God doesn't have enemies, nor will he judge them. Um, according to verse 10 and verse 20, these, in, in Psalms 35, these enemies weren't just attacking David. They were also robbing the poor and needy and hurting the quiet people of the land. If you have ever been angered by oppression or violence or injustice or things that just don't seem fair, whether you like it or not, you need and you love imprecatory psalms. Um, I just finished reading 
a book called Redeeming Love. Um, it was written by Frances Rivers. Uh, she was a romance novelist and then became a Christian and then just couldn't write anymore until she read the story of Hosea. And then she wrote kind of a more modern, um, you know, story that goes alongside of, you know, a guy who marries um, a prostitute and brings her home and she goes back and brings her home and she goes back and brings her home and just all the trial in it. But man, it unpacks. And so it's like, it's, it's Christian romance. I mean, Christian smut. I mean, like there'll be times you're like, whoa, okay. I mean, it's not like descriptive. Okay. Uh, but I mean, it talks about Song of Solomon. You should read that too. Um, but man, when you read it and you hear her story, and you enter in that she was nine years old when she was sold to a rapist. And he trafficked her up until like 20. So for 10 years she was trafficked. And like you read that, there's something in you that should stand up. And it sounds a lot like an imprecatory psalm. It sounds a lot like this is not how it should be. God, where are you? Why does this happen? Something needs to be done. It sounds a lot like, God, I need you to move and I need you to act. This shouldn't happen because that doesn't just exist in novels. That is a real thing. And so the imprecatory psalm speaks to your sense of just and right and says it's wrong. You know, one of the things that haunted me the most about the book it wasn't just the, the horrible things done to the girl. She goes by the name Angel. She goes by like 15 different names. But most of the books, she goes by the name Angel. It wasn't just what was done to her. It was what was broken inside of her. That she was being loved with this incredible love by Michael Hosea, which I'm like, man, I'll marry that dude. I mean, Michael Hosea. And she dared not even hope that it was real. She always had a voice inside of her head that says, don't trust your angel. Don't trust him. He can't be trusted. Men only just use. Like, what was broken in her was not just the hurt and all that stuff. What was broken in her was even the dare to dream. If that bothers you, we actually love impregatory psalms. We need them. But even more than that, according to Colossians 1, 21 and 22, at one time, impregatory psalms were the best psalms that fit you and me. You see, it's talking about the enemies of God. Colossians 1, it says, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, in his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I was at one time an enemy of God. My flesh still stands hostile to God so many times. Like, I have been ushered in because of the work of Jesus, because of what he did. I am now called son or daughter friend. And so, you know, hear it another way. Before you trusted in the finished work of Jesus, the incarnated Son of God who died a death you deserve to give you a life you can't earn, apart from trusting in his death and resurrection to make you acceptable to God, the psalm that best describes your relationship with God is enemy, against, hostile, the category of psalm is imprecatory. But Jesus changed what psalms we get. Because of Jesus, he took the cursing of God so that we could get the kindness of God. 
as we walk through this, there's a duality um, that we're confronted with in Psalms 35. And one way to describe the duality is like, if God loves me with a dying love, like, and he wants my life to be whole, like he wants me to be whole, then why am I yet confronted with difficulty, fear, attacks, and pain? Like, why do both of these things exist? And the the scriptures are clear, and we're going to try to unpack this, that they both can exist alongside each other. Like many of us have both right now. Whether you realize or not, you have God's undying devotion and yet you have difficulty and so we're going to break this up under really two headings and we're going to move pretty fast and the first one is just battle we're going to look at battles like when battles rage in my life and then the second is salvation when salvation fully comes battles salvation let me pray for us Father, Lord, um, God, there are really probably two kinds of people in the room that when we think of struggling and difficulty, and it, it covers two opposite sides of the continuum. Like on one side, like, Lord, some of us are too sensitive, and everything feels like a frontal attack, and there's not grace for the other person. Uh, we always assume that there's malicious bent behind the actions, and Lord, we need to be comforted. We need like your spirit to dig down deep in us and to help resolve those things in us that we would think less about ourselves and more about like the kingdom of God and what you're doing, not just in us, but all around us. But Lord, there's also on the opposite side of the continuum, there's, there's some who never want to acknowledge that we are in a tough, difficult season. We don't want to speak it out loud because if we speak it out loud, then it must be real. And so we try to distract ourselves and we try to run and we try to hide. And we just, we actually make ourselves less real. And Lord, you want to enter in and you want to show that both of these dualities do exist. That difficulty is here and your undying love is present. So Father, wherever we are, I pray that you would use the inspired words I'm of God, Lord, the words that you inspired in David's life as he faced difficulty and wrestled with your undying devotion. I pray that you would be present and you would help. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, we're going to jump around a little bit um, because, uh, because, because that's how I wrote it. So here we go. The first one, we're going to focus this idea of battles, when battles rage. And what we see is David teaches us that both battles, uh, that battles exist in many forms, on many different fields, but they can carry the same feel and the same losses. And so look, look at verse 1. Like if we were going to say, you know, battles rage, sometimes more or less on typical battlefields where you would expect them. And, and so the language that we see in verses 1 through 3 are words that you could find on a battlefield of that day. Like they're words that describe weapons that are necessary for a battlefield. And they're words that would describe how do you ruse men to fight? How do you ruse people to, to turn and to take a stand? And so right here in verse 1 it says, Contend. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Like David starts, Psalms 35, with military imagery. Like he's calling God to contend, to fight, to take hold of shield, to draw the spear. 
Like he's drawing on language that would put someone in the middle of a battlefield to feel like the danger of that moment. To feel the pressing like weight and rage that might exist. To feel the fear of what you might feel on a battlefield. You know, so many, like when you think of like military words, military words are kind of used to evoke a feeling. Like, like the unmanned drone, the predator. Okay, that's there to, to evoke a, like this, this idea of death, this idea of something coming after you that only wants to kill and consume. Like they didn't call it the fluffy bunny for a reason. Or, or, or the F-22 raptor. Have you seen Jurassic Park? Like they kill everybody. They didn't call it the F-22 like dolphin. They didn't do it for a reason. The language is trying to evoke something. And then there's military words that, you know, you don't know how they even got, like walkie-talkie. Other than the fact, like, I'm, I'm walkie and I talkie. I mean, you know, but, but they're there to evoke something upon you. And so when David, like, I don't know, he's probably not literally standing on a battlefield saying, I need spears and I need swords and I need javelins and whatever a buckler is, I need one of those or two. Like, he's not necessarily doing that, maybe. But he's trying to evoke I feel like I'm in a war. I feel like danger and loss exist all around. And I need to be vindicated. Like Psalm 35, it teaches us with that imagery that sometimes that kind of imagery is the only adequate imagery to talk about the fear that I need. Have you ever needed someone to defend you? Have you ever needed someone to, to stand up and contend for you to take your cause? Or like the, the proverbial draw the sword and draw the shield so that you can stand behind it. Someone to fight for you. If you have, then the end of verse 3 was the cry of your soul. Look at verse 3. It says, God, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Like he doesn't just say, God, be my salvation. He says, God, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Convince me that you are really for me. Convince me that you want to save me. Convince me that I can trust you because when I look at this field, it doesn't look like I can. I need to be convinced. I just, I'm not sure. Like these could have been moments that David is looking as he is writing Psalms 35 and he's like, God, I'm thinking about taking Psalms 18 back. You know, when I said that you were my fortress and my refuge, when I said that you were the horn of salvation, like I'm just not sure right now. And there are times in our lives when we look back and say, God, I was so certain of your worth. I was so certain of like your care and your love for me back then. I'm just not sure right now. And I need you to stand up and to vindicate. Sometimes battles rage are more or less typical ground. Sometimes battles rage in places like the courtrooms of opinions and reputations. Look at verse, look at verse 11. In verse 11, it starts off to describe something different from a battlefield. It starts off to describe like a courtroom. And I think one thing that I just want us to see is like sometimes unconventional weapons can cause the most harm and terror. I mean, like, you, you see a sword or a javelin, and, like, you have an idea of the harm and the terror that that can cause. But sometimes unconventional weapons can cause, like, horrible terror, horrible harm. 
uh, we were swimming in our, our neighbor's pool, and we were playing categories. And so the kids asked me to play categories. And so if you've never played categories, like, where would you grow up? Um, but it's where you run and jump. And when you jump off the diving board, someone yells out a category. And you have to answer the category, something that fits, before you land in the water. And so, you know, like, it's practice. If, I, if you were running and jumping, and I said candy bars, you would say... Yeah, Snickers. Like, I don't know why everyone says that, but you would. And so, like, like that's the way you, you play categories. And so I didn't, I didn't really want to play. Like, I, I didn't really want to play, but I didn't want to say no. And so I decided I'm going to do really hard categories. And so, like, they would run and jump, and I would say, like, 90 grunge bands. And they would be like, what? And I'd be like, guys, I mean, you could have said Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, arguably Bush. I mean, you could have said all kinds of things. And so then they would run and jump, and I would say things like, sedimentary rocks and they'd be like what and i'd be like guys shale sandstone conglomerate i mean all kinds of things and so cruz was like no 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 listen you need to say things like weapons and so he got up and so he ran and jumped and i you know i want to please the crowd and so uh he jumped and i said weapons and he said pickaxe <laughs> and i mean like, that's an unconventional weapon. It is savage. Like, could you imagine if a guy came at you with a pickaxe? I bet most of us would rather be shot. Sometimes unconventional weapons cause horrible pain. Listen, listen to the weapons that he talks about in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, malicious witnesses rise up and ask me things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. Like maliciousness, hateful lying witnesses asking me things I don't know, trying to trip me up, trying to put me in some sort of bind. Repaying evil for good. Bereft, like the mourning of my soul. Have you, ever, have you ever been heartbroken because you've been mischaracterized? Because you've been misrepresented? Because you've been lied about? Because you've been tricked? Like unconventional weapons still cause horrible, horrible wounding. Have you ever been betrayed? In a situation no one believes, no one comes to your aid, no one stands up, you're scared to answer because you're pretty sure they're trying to trip you up or to trick you. You're pretty sure it's a trap. You don't know who to trust. And according to verses 13 and 15 that we're going to see in just a second, the ones that are hurting you are people who are close. Look at verse 13. He says, but I... When they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother or as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in the morning. David is like, man, I am being lied about and mischaracterized. And people are coming out of the word work and they're trying to trip me. And they're people that I love. They're people that I've stood with. They're people that one time I was like, man, they are on my team. And now everything has changed. It goes on, verse 15, it says, but at my stumbling they rejoiced. 
and they gathered, they gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. That's betrayal. This is a battle that divides households and friends. Like it's painful. It's lonely. It's desperate. Unconventional weapons doing deep, deep harm. And then, and then David, look at verse 16. David, he opens up. He says, man, it, it's so, like what they're doing, it doesn't even fit the scene. It's even obscene. Like, look, look at what he says. He says, like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Like profane mockers at, at a feast. Like that, that's like getting up at, at, a, at, a, at you know, a wedding reception and trashing the bride and groom. He says the setting is so obscene, like they're taking every opportunity. There's not, they don't, they're not fighting fair. Like David is saying, man, it's not just weapons like spears and javelins. It's weapons of opinions and truth. And I feel marginalized. I feel trapped. I feel all alone. And then verse 19, this is where some of the language of an imprecatory psalm comes out. It says, let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. You know, the, the language right there, like the wink the eye, the ESV kind of, it kind of puts it to kind of think like this, like it's kind of malicious, like devious, like kind of a wink. You know, we're like, yeah, 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 we're going to get you. But like the, the Hebrew, it's actually much more like just vague, where it just says crinkling the eye. And so a lot of commentaries pull it this way. It could be malicious and devious, or it could be laughing. Have you ever been hurt by humor? Everyone gather around, just going to laugh at what you did or what you didn't do or what you can't do. Unconventional weapons. Look at verse 20. It says, For they do not speak, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They're not just against him, but they're about anyone who's mild-tempered in the land, the soft-spoken, the kind-hearted. They want to divide. They want to cause chaos, wreckage. Verse 21, They open their eyes wide, their mouths against me. They say, Aha, aha. Our eyes have seen it. Another unconventional weapon. Looking for evidence to build a case. Oh, you mess up too? Oh, you do that too? And then look at verse 17. If you've ever felt that way, if you've ever been hurt by lying or misrepresentation, if you've ever loved someone, they were friend or brother or mother, and they turned, and now it's dividing households and friendships. If you've ever been at a place where like, man, it doesn't seem like they're playing by the right rules, like it's obscene the way they're attacking me. Or if you've ever been at a place where like, man, I have become the butt of all their jokes, then you have wanted to pray a verse like 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions, because they're circling me. You know, we looked at two kind of scenes, a scene that kind of looks like a battlefield and battles rage there, a scene that looks more like a courtroom or more like high school and battles rage there. But also... What about when battles just rage in my soul, stealing my faith? 
you know, really, really that's this whole psalm. I mean, he's describing different places, but he's describing a war that's inside of like, man, I see, you know, you've been so faithful to me in the past and you've been so loving and you have all these promises, but then I see the reality of my life. It doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to fit. So really all of Psalms 34 is contending for faith in David's heart um, that God loves me with an undying love and wants life full and abundant life for me and yet I'm confronted on so many sides. But verse 22 kind of helps unpack it. It says this in verse 22, you have seen, like David is reminding himself of what is absolutely true, you have seen. God, you see, you saw, you are present, you have seen this. You are not blind from this. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent, O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and ruse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, for my God, my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. This is where like, we get a lot of the... It, uh, imprecable you know, part of the psalm, the, the cursing, vindicate me, bring them down. You also find a lot of this in verse 6 through 8 where it says, cause their, their path to be slippery, expose them. The net that they're trapping for me, trap them. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Like this is the imprecatory part where it says, they want me to fall, make them fall. They, 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 they want to trap me, God, trap them. They want to put me to shame, God, let their shame find them. Like this is the imprecatory part of God, this isn't right. I need you to show up. And so just, you know, a good hermeneutic of when we're reading the scriptures, would be like, hey, what, what scene fits my life the best? Is it more like the, the actual battlefield, like it's how I describe it? Is it more of like the, the battlefield of uh, the courts of opinion, of I feel like I'm being misrepresented? Or is it like more of just the battlefield inside my soul that I'm just unsure and I'm fighting for faith? And the good news is that the psalmist doesn't stop. He wants to point out salvation. And what he's saying is God can and will save Holy and completely one day in the future because of what Jesus did. It's how we understand it because of the New Testament. God will one day save holy. David is asking for a complete whole person salvation. And I don't know if he got it until the other side of eternity. But look at what he asks in verse 9. He says, then my soul, look down the text. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Save my soul. Save the inner life of me. Don't let me fall into the darkness of doubt and despair. Save so I can rejoice again. Help my heart feel salvation. Remember, it was say to my soul, I am your salvation. Convince my inner life that I can trust you. Convince my will and my determination. Give me faith. Save my soul. But he asked for more of that. Look at verse 10. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Lord, save my whole person. 
you know, because I, in reading Redeeming Love, and really just in talking about like horrible tragedy, what happens on the on the inside of a person with deep shame and horrible hurt is they start to want to separate and they want to think of their bodies as just a body and it doesn't matter. And that's crept into Christianity, like this idea of this dualistic relationship of I've got a soul and I've got a body and, you know, this body is, you know, whatever. But I think the Bible actually builds something that is far more intertwined I think the, body, the Bible actually builds something that says you are an inhabited body. You are a soul-inhabited body. And like the dimensions of you are far more intertwined. And that's why the good news of the gospel is not just about a soul resurrection. It's about a full resurrection, a bodily resurrection. It's about this earth becoming a new earth and a new heaven. It's about God resurrecting everything. And the Apostle Paul wanted to get that across so badly in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not that God is just going to say, I ah, mean, that body and all the things that happened to it and all the pain and suffering and all the psyche problems that you had or the belief problems that you had. Like that was terrible. And the pain and suffering that was associated with flesh and bone, like, man, that was bad. But now let's just all go away. The Bible describes a resurrected body because Jesus had a resurrected body. It was like his old body, but new. It had scars from the pain that he had, but they're now beautiful. See, the encompassing sweep of Christianity, the encompassing sweep of what Christ has done is he says, I will resurrect it all. I'm not going to give you a new car in heaven to prostitute your pain. I will make all of your pain beautiful in one day. And so the Apostle Paul writes this in chapter 15, starting in verse 42. I wanted to start earlier, but I know we're going to be short on time. And so here he is, starting in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, the last Adam, Jesus, became a living, life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of death. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as of the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, beginning broken and fragile, with insecurities and doubts, with sin encompassing deep, deep within. Just as we were in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Did you hear that? You will one day be whole, broken no more, not just new and replaced, resurrected. You know, the gruesome death of Jesus left its mark. And it became the imprints that which we understand love. What if your scars from this life say the same thing? 
It goes on in verse 50. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, on the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. I think the Bible speaks to what we never could probably put words to. And it says whole body resurrection for those who trust in Christ. If you've ever longed for vindication, for God to contend, for God to make right, for God to fix and to stand up, your longing was always for the resurrection that only Jesus Christ can give. You saw it as other things. You saw it as, gosh, if I could just get a new relationship or get that relationship back. Or, or you thought it as, man, if I could just find a career where a boss treats me right. Or if I could just have that kind of success. You're asking for what you have to be transformed into something new. And that longing has always actually pointed you to a whole body resurrection that only comes through Jesus Christ. And see, that the rejoice that we have as believers David saw just a little bit. In verse 27 of Psalms 35, he says this, that those who delight in my righteousness, my right standing with God, shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. We do this now in faith, but one day it will be sight. The whole nature of an imprecatory psalm is asking God to act. Is asking God to act with his hands. And I think actually what we see in David is he's showing a restraint that I don't know if I have. Like what is clear in Psalm 35 that is despite the military language and maybe it's not a real war but people gathering together threatening doing harm they mock and repay good with bad and look at the contrast the psalms is praised for them and he mourns for them like this could be said about some people in part in moments in their life maybe their best moments but that is entirely true in the person of Jesus in his hardest moments. Upon the cross, Jesus was mocked, threatened, beaten. They surrounded him and they made fun of him and they used humor to laugh at him and they mocked his faith and his goodness. They even mocked the devotion of God toward him. They punched him and asked him, who did that? Prophesy to us. They ripped out his beard. They made a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head and they nailed him to a cross. And he mourned for them. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They are being hateful, but they are blinded by so much. 
because Jesus did, he made a way so you can. Jesus became the curse for all 21 imprecatory psalms so that we could have the blessing of so many others. The curse fell on Jesus so it wouldn't have to fall on you, so you wouldn't have to live to curse others. And this is all played out for us every week in communion. Every week in communion, we see the bodily death, the bodily resurrection played right before us. The bread representing the body of Christ, as he told us, the blood being represented by the grape juice or the wine. The way we take communion here is we start on the bread side and we tear a piece off and we dip it into the wine or the grape juice. The wine is in the stoneware, the grape juice is in the glass. We stay on the right side of the aisle, uh, coming down and going back just to help with time. But we do it every week to be reminded Jesus became a curse for us so we don't have to stay a curse. And Jesus became a curse for us so we don't have to just live to curse. What fits you better? Let me pray for us. Father, um, Lord, I pray that you would actually rapture our hearts and fill our hearts with the belief of resurrection. Like, if the scars in Jesus' hand and side that were given by such violence and such hate, if they now proclaim love, Lord, what might my scars when they're resurrected be? And so with your heads and eyes closed, Christian, that means like, the things that have been done for you are not forgotten. They're not going to be bought back. Jesus says they will be resurrected into something beautiful. And I know at times it's really hard to believe. A couple motions that we offer you at the end of this service is, one, if you're a believer, if you trust in Jesus, man, we ask you to come and partake in communion with us at the Lord's Supper that we would remember. Like, it's just physical act. There's no magic in it, but a physical act that reminds us, like, whole body salvation. Whole body salvation. But there's, there's another motion that might fit. Like, you know, we, you're kind of kidding. I, I told you that turn to the other person and say you were sorry. There might be work that you need to do on a friendship or a marriage or a relationship where you really repent. I have been a cursing for you at so many times. And I just need you to forgive me. Or, or another motion, if you're in a season and it's just really, really hard and you do feel like the lions are circling and you do feel like in the courtroom of opinions you are being assassinated and you just need prayer, we'll have people in the back of the room and they'll move into the hallways with you uh, just to pray with you. You can tell them as little or as much as you want. The way they're going to pray is like a victorious God who can resurrect all things. Those are different motions for you. And finally, if, if you're not a Christian, you're unsure about this, we'll have some prayers up on the, the screen just kind of walking you through that, not trying to trick you, just trying to give you space. If you're worried about standing out, you won't stand out. Communion's it's chaotic. There'll be people walking all over everybody. It's okay. You won't stand out. Father, I pray that you be present. And Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of like coming to you and you reaching down and lifting up our chin and saying, just wait.
just wait. Resurrection beauty, just wait. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come when you're ready.